Okay, try saying something now, Brooke. Okay, how about that? Can you Ooh. hear me now? I think maybe they could because I saw a change. All right, guys, Ooh. we need feedback. Okay. Yes, Hello. okay, good. <laughs> that was so sad. Oh, my face is hot now. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're using OBS? Yeah. The most complicated program in all the world. I, I'm I really, glad you agree. <laughs> I do because I just did a live thing like six months ago and it went horribly wrong for 45 minutes. I just need you to know that this was only like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so much better. <laughs> yes. OBS, I, when I learned uh, that OBS was the program we're using, I was like, cool, I'll go figure this out. <laughs> nope. No, I've told myself that at least 10 times and I still have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. So good for you. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing this for a year now and we're still struggling, apparently. Okay, Trey, you ready to start over? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um, this is this get... whole like this. All these mess ups get edited out of the audio later. So, oh, man, I feel like we need to leave it in. We just <laughs> we'll put it in our blooper reel. Yes. Hello, and welcome to the Modern Romantic Podcast, where we revel in and celebrate romanticism through art, storytelling, nature, music, poetry, creating, and passionate people doing incredible things. Hello, I'm doing this introduction for the fourth time in a weird accent to keep it fresh and interesting. <laughs> I am Trey. I am joined by my forever podcast host, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. Thank you, Beauregard. <laughs> You're welcome. Um would you uh, like to do the introduction for our guest one more time? Because one time was not enough. I would love to. I hope I have this. <laughs> I hope I could do it justice like I did the first time. Tonight, we have someone who wields imagination like a fierce weapon. <laughs> creating inspiring and compelling art with few, if any, limitations. I am thoroughly excited to introduce to you a creator of worlds, a purveyor of magic an inventor of inspiration, and the queen of promoting passion herself, Brooke Shaden. <laughs> it was just as good the second time. Thanks. Loved it. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> Thank you for, uh, for giving us through our technical difficulties. <laughs> I know. It's very nice to have people helping live. Yeah. They're like, here, check this <laughs> setting. Check that setting. <laughs> That's great. But I'm really happy to be here. Thank you both for for letting me do this with you. And thank you. We're we're very excited to have you here. So, um, Brooke, as as someone who has been hearing about you for like I was saying before, I I just want to say it again. I have been hearing about you. I have started following your art. I um, I've honestly seen just how incredible your artwork is. So, not the not necessarily a question, but more just a statement. Um, you are an incredible creator of so many different things. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being well, on with us. Thank you for tonight. saying that. I mean, it means a lot because I, I do like to create a lot of different things. And, um, and one thing that you just made me think of as you were saying that is like one of the questions that I get asked a lot just by other creators is like, I have so many passions I have so many things that I love to do how like but I have to pick one thing and I always think like that is so not true like you can do a million things but if you put that same beha passion behind it then you know like people people notice that first and so I appreciate what you said because I feel like it shows me that you've seen the passion behind it and not necessarily just the things themselves that I'm putting out there and that means a lot 
Well, it was so funny because reading, or not funny, but it was, um, it was really insightful. Um, going on your like your website and reading some of the biography that we've had from um, from your. Uh, recent posts and things and reading the uh, listening to some of the answers there was a video that you did of uh, 50 questions with Brooke Shaden um, and listening to some of the answers you gave from that and you have talked about so many different things that you've done with art um, that it gave us a lot of insight for for the podcast tonight so yeah. um I think that speaks to a lot of creators to say that they are that they are more than just the one thing that we're seeing. Like you said, they are all of those things because all of yeah. the, that goes into art. I agree. I call it being multi-passionate. And I think that if anybody says that they're not, then either they haven't discovered how they are or they're just trying to lie to themselves to make themselves feel better about thinking that they have to choose one path. But you don't have to choose just one thing. Because you do what you do writing, you do art, you do painting, you do photography. Yeah, yeah. I do photography, mixed media, um, a lot of writing, some sculpture, um, uh, motivational speaking, you know, stuff like that, like a lot of different things. And, um, and I love all of them. And depending on the day, I love all of them equally. I mean, it just like, you know, yesterday I would have said writing is my like the best thing I've ever done. And then today I was taking a photo and I was like, never mind, this is the best thing, you know, it changes. But, but I think it's just like, I think it's just goes to show that I think that if you're, if you're an artist in one way, then you're probably an artist in every way. And you just have to be open to that. Absolutely. And just your answers are beautiful. It's just Miss <laughs> America pageant. <laughs> well, I can make you a sash. Yeah, no. <laughs> what are some things that make you make you go like, yes, this is why I do what I do? Oh my gosh. There I think that okay, so there are probably twenty ways to answer this, but there are two ways that come to my mind. And I think that the difference between these two answers is partially why some people say they create for themselves versus why other people say they create for other people. So like one is flow state. And it's that feeling that you get when you're doing something that feels completely right in every cell of your body and you don't notice time passing and and you kind of like look up and you're like oh shoot it's it's midnight I didn't notice you know and those are the moments where you know that you're doing something that's important for yourself like for something that has to be let out of you but then there are also moments where I make something and I think immediately whether it's like right when I take the picture or right when I finish editing the picture or even right when I release it, I just get this sense of somebody needs to see this. And I'm sure of that. I'm sure of it. And that knowing that like something you make could be, um, the a stepping stone for someone else to acknowledge their own feelings or to acknowledge their own confidence or bravery or something that they need. I just feel like that is so vital to an artist's experience and not for every artist, but I'm definitely, I definitely lean toward this idea that you can create for other people and that that's good and that it equally makes you an artist. Cause I think especially in the fine art world, there's a, there's this huge sense that if you don't create just for yourself, then somehow you're not like a serious artist in some way. And I just so rail against that because I think that creating for other people is is like a lifeline for me as an artist. So those two things kind of give me that spark and let me know I'm, I'm on the right path. I love that. What did you call it again? Flow space? 
Flow state. Oh, flow state. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. But I, I like, like space actually because I feel like you're creating your own little space for yourself and it's like it's almost like a time bubble <laughs> which I'm very into science fiction so that's how I think but I, I imagine like a force field around you where just like time and space and like nothing exists outside of that little bubble can relate yes kind of thinking along the like the space-time thing um if you could sit down with your 18 year old college self so freshman in college just entered college and tell them what you do now, what do you think they would say? I think, you know, 18 year old me was like the start of who I am now. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. Like when you become a young adult and you're, you're sort of like learning about how you're going to be who, who you want to be. Um, like the person that I was even two years before that was so vastly different. So, so I think that 18 year old me would probably be, unsurprised in one regard because I had so much passion for the thing I was doing at the time, which was filmmaking and not photography, but, um, but for filmmaking. And I was like, I was convinced that I was going to move to LA and become a super famous director. And like, you know, I had all this, this, these ideas that I just like absolutely had to get out there. So I think that there would be some level of like, just sort of acceptance of like, yeah, that, that tracks and then i think also there would also be like this genuine fear of like well but i don't know how to talk to people and i don't know how to express myself and like how am i going to figure all of that out but i think that i think i was born with a really absurd amount of confidence which is great <laughs> but um has gotten me in trouble and so i think that um i think she'd say yeah like we can make this happen <laughs> i i love that so many people I feel like would have maybe a different answer for that. But I love that even at 18 years old, you had been like, hell yeah, I'm a little nervous, but how are we going to make this work? Yeah. And that's, that's how I, that's just how I have always operated to a degree. But especially when I turned 18, it was like something just kind of changed and, and I knew it was going to happen. I think also part of that was born from being in a film school where I was like one of two girls in my entire class. And it was just, you know, very, very much like I felt like I had to prove myself beyond what other people were doing. And, um, and so when I was in film school, I ended up um, like, I was the first person in my entire school's history to like make a, a film on, on 35 millimeter film. And like, it was a huge deal and um and I got press for it and it was like and the film wasn't good I'm not trying to say like I was a genius I did something amazing but I was trying to find any little way that I could um you know like put myself above the rest in some way or set myself apart and so I was already thinking like that at that time in my life and um and I think that's only grown in a, in a big sense and um but the good thing is it grew out of wanting to just prove myself and into like how can I challenge myself so that my art really does get better and not so that I'm just like trying to show people up because I used to be really competitive and I try very hard to squash that when I can mm. You've talked before about feeling like the odd one out. Yeah. And always. Yeah. How is that something that maybe has helped you? It, you know, I'm glad you asked it like that because it, it really has been a boon, I think. Um, I didn't grow up as like the weird one or anything. And I was just like the invisible one. Nobody noticed me. I, I didn't have any special attributes. I wasn't, I wasn't 
particularly creative or sporty or smart or anything. And so um, I think that when, when I became an adult, I realized like I would rather be the weird one or just like other in some way than nothing at all. And my whole life I felt like I was nothing at all. And so I kind of wore it as a badge of honor and then realized very quickly that there's a huge group of people out there who feel the same way, like who want to be noticed for doing something special and who aren't, um, who don't desire to blend into the background. And, and so I started to use words like, like weird and, you know, stuff like that as a compliment to people and to myself. And I found that the more that I did that, the more, um, the more I created a, a group of people who wanted to, to sort of embrace the same things, which was, interesting because the more I embraced my otherness the more the less I became other if that makes sense like I created my own community and that was um a pretty cool thing to witness over time happening it was it was just like well I'd rather be weird than nothing at all and so let's just like champion that word and make it mean the best thing ever for people absolutely yeah so does that mean like with your confidence even though you felt like the odd one out have you had imposter syndrome? You know, I've never really had imposter syndrome. So let's talk about that yeah. because I, I really am I'm really interested in this term um, because I notice people, I don't necessarily want to use the word suffering from it a lot, but like, but a lot of people throw this word around. And I think that I, I feel like I was kind of thrust into a professional career not necessarily that I wasn't ready for it, but that I wasn't, um, <laughs> I didn't know anything about the career I was entering, I should say. So I went into it, not exactly having imposter syndrome, but immediately being around a whole bunch of people who generally had a really well-known reputation. And I realized they also knew nothing about anything. <laughs> and so it was really satisfying to like, to meet these people who a lot of people would say like, oh my gosh, what an icon that person is. And I'm like, yeah, but like that person also doesn't know what they're doing half the time. And, and it gave me this amazing sense of freedom to be like, I don't need to feel like an imposter because either we're all imposters or nobody is an imposter. So I choose to believe that nobody is. And, um, and I do think that came very naturally to me, but I also think it's true. I mean, I really genuinely, like one of my favorite things to say is that the only thing that makes someone a professional is that they call themselves a professional seriously. And like, so as long as you do it, people will believe it. <laughs> and, and so why not, you know, so like imposter syndrome, I don't know. I mean, I've never really had it just because I think that, you know, either, either everyone is or no one is. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I feel that's how yeah. I felt when I went to New York Fashion Week. It was, how do I make this happen? And I realized that the person sitting behind the desk holding the paperwork I needed to fill out was really no different than me. Yeah. It, you know, someone had to create that paperwork. Someone sat there on their, you know, with their word document or whatever and created a form for me to fill out. And just like I would, you know, so I, I, once you see everybody as human, I think that helps too. Yeah. Even the people who have done like the most amazing things from your perspective, I think 
there's definitely respect to be paid there when somebody has achieved those milestones, but it's also important to recognize that maybe they've got 20 years on you. Maybe they're younger than you, but they've been doing this longer, or maybe they just like, they've had certain privileges in their life that led them to this position, you know, whatever it is. I think that there's also, we have to acknowledge again, this space time continuum that's happening where, you know, like, it's not like we're all on the same track doing the same things, but somehow they ended up in a different place than you, you know, it's just so, subjective and so when I look at people who I'm you know maybe jealous of or I think like oh I would love to achieve that in my career I think like well I still can like I don't have to be upset that they've done it and I haven't because my story isn't over you know like it might still happen who knows um credence in the chat asked how do you feel that running into new and unfamiliar situations is energizing to your work sometimes <laughs> I say sometimes because I, I need like my instinct is to just be like definitely but that's not completely true <laughs> um I I actually so here's a good example of why I'm not going to say like a full yes to this and th- a good example is that I went to this conference um that I spoke at a long while ago now like o- over a decade ago and um and when I was at this conference, everybody there is a photo conference and everybody there was shooting with strobe lights, like everyone. And it was like tons of stations set up. And um, one of my friends there was like, come on, you should do a shoot with these strobe lights. And I was like, I don't know, like it didn't excite me. It wasn't like the look I wanted or anything. And I did it just to like be silly with everybody, but I hated the photos. And I've tried using lights on and off since then. And you know, like sometimes it went okay, but it never really spoke to me. And so like, sometimes I think that there's this sense that if there's something new or like uncharted territory, that it should always be exciting. And like, you should always embrace that. But I think it's also important to recognize when something just genuinely doesn't fit how you like to do things. And because life is too short to try to force something that doesn't work. And, um, and I asked myself, like with with a lot of frequency. How do I want to spend my days? Not like what's my big goal in life, but like every single day, what do I want to wake up and do with my time? And I think that's a really good way of finding a new perspective to just like tackle, you know, your dreams and your goals and all of that. So in answering this question, you know, like does new and unfamiliar situations, is that energizing? Sometimes, yes. I mean, like, I think especially in times of like where nothing goes right some sometimes those are the most exciting shoots to do i'm thinking back to about almost like exactly a year ago i was filming um four short films where i live in the mountains and it was like super snowy and like nothing was working out and we ended up shooting until like late in the night outside it was like 15 degrees outside and my model was freezing and and like nothing went right. But after that shoot, we were all just so energized by it, like by that unknown, like, are we going to get this done? Are we going to manage it? So sometimes yes, sometimes no. But I do think it's important to note, like you don't have to force yourself into uncomfortable situations if it truly doesn't align with what you want to be doing. That's wise. You know, it feels wise to some degree <laughs> because you had- <laughs> a lot of my career trying to do that you know like trying to do things that I thought would get me more um 
respect or notoriety or something that I felt like was the next thing that I had to do. Like I remember specifically, um, I started, I rented like a few different really grand locations around the United States and started doing shoots in them because I thought, well, the next thing I have to do is like do these amazing shoots in these amazing locations with like models and dresses and all that stuff. And I hated them. You know, like I was just like, I hate these photos. And and after spending a buttload of money on that stuff, it was like, why am I even doing this? And and every time I go back to my roots of like the happiest I am actually doing the shoot, then that's when I create the work that I love the most. Archer33 in the chat said, Emily may have done a photo shoot like that. It was minus <laughs> 10 at one point and the cameras were freezing up. That is true. The batteries were dying very quickly. <laughs> and yeah. it wasn't autofocusing anymore. <laughs> oh, yes. It was brutal. But I think those pictures turned out amazing, even if not all of them are very crisp. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like that's the biggest lie in photography. Like, I don't care if your photos are crisp. Give me a soft fo focus photo, but like a really interesting subject anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So back to something you said earlier, you were talking about um, I guess it was, I was thinking about how people who s say they aren't creative or people who, you know, I've been thinking about, like, I have people that come up to me that say things like, oh, I'm just not creative or, mm -hmm. um, all I know on my cameras is auto mode. And I'm, I'm trying to encourage them, like, go with auto mode then just yeah. go. Yeah. So what do you say to people who say, I'm, oh, I'm just not creative. First, I roll my eyes because I don't, I'm not very good at <laughs> <laughs> But then I turn it into a loving eye roll. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, honestly, I think that those people, I, I really try to put myself, my, myself in their shoes because to be able to say something like, I don't think I'm creative, that has to come from a long life of being proven time and time again that you are going to fail if you try something creative. And it, it's hard, like, you know, my, my version of this, not in creativity, but in um, school is that like, I always told myself that I'm stupid, because I could never get a good grade in school ever. Like, I failed almost every test, you know, like, I just, for whatever reason, couldn't, couldn't do it. And, um, and so I think about that. And I think how all my life, I said, I'm not smart, I'm really stupid, I don't get good grades, you know, like all that, I'm not intelligent. And it actually took somebody um, who is a, a beautiful photographer. Um, her name is Katrine Eisman. And she stopped me once when I was giving a talk on stage. I walked off the stage and she was standing there and she said, great talk, but I just want to tell you, don't ever tell an audience that you are stupid again. She said, because whatever you say, they will believe about you. And that stuck with me so much because I've thought about that. Like, yeah, I've been telling people that I'm stupid because my experience has been that either they will see it and make fun of me for it. Um, and if I, if I don't tell them, then like, I'll give them that power. So I always just hold people thinking that's better to just tell them up front. And so when someone says I'm not creative, then I think like they must've had all these experiences that confirmed that fear that they had, that they're not creative. And so they're, you know, taking that step to tell us I'm not creative as a defense. Um, and so I try to encourage them, you know, let go of that story that you've been telling yourself, because there is a way that you're creative, just like there is a way that I'm intelligent, even though school did not reflect that back to me. 
I now know that I can be successful as a business owner, as a speaker, as an educator, as a photographer. And yeah, I might not have made it as a like, you know, bioengineer or something like that, but that doesn't mean that I'm not intelligent, just like their efforts at creativity don't mean that they're not creative. So that's what I try to explain to people, hopefully in a shorter, more concise way than that. <laughs> no, it I think it honestly sometimes takes takes that kind of response that um like I had a conversation with my boyfriend Seth about like he builds computers, mm. and he. I'm sorry. My husband too. Ah oh, yes, um, and it was when he was showing me like his computer that he built from like from scratch. Um, just he turned it on and just the way that everything moved and like the whole rgb and the way that he set it up and it's just startup to its running phase um talking about it in so much detail and i'm like this is like this is a work of art this is beautiful and he's like this is just technology and i'm like no 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 uh -uh, mm -mm, i agree this is beautiful yeah i think that there's um like I, I think of it as artistic literacy. Like we have to teach people to see the the artistry in everything, which I think it is there. And as long as we as artists can explain that to people, then maybe people will start to catch on that things like building a computer can be artistic and, and so many different things are, especially because when you look at the brain science behind creativity, it tells us that creativity is really just the ability to problem solve and then to communicate the solution to that problem. That's like literally what's happening happening in our brains when we practice creativity and that's basically life <laughs> I mean like anything you can think of in life is just that very simple um you know like there's a problem how do I solve it and whatever gets spit out is the creative solution so I think it's really interesting yeah if you're altering a recipe that you're making if you're troubleshooting mm -hmm. it's creativity yeah absolutely we had Two questions from the chat I want to make sure we don't miss. One of them is from uh, Jamoose, who is James, uh, asks Brooke, if given the opportunity to do a photo shoot on Mars, would you take the trip out there? Or hell no, there's no way you're blasting off in a spaceship. Oh, absolutely. So um, sidetrack, but um, I just read this incredibly beautiful book um, called The Darkness Outside Us. And... Um, and it's, it takes place on a spaceship and it's like kind of horrifying. But the whole time I was like, I don't even care that this is horrifying. I want to be on that spaceship. <laughs> like, And okay, here's a worse example. I feel like I'm, I just shouldn't say what I'm about to say, but whatever. So um, I was in Hawaii recently. I went to a writer's conference and my friend and I took a helicopter tour around the island. And it's like all glass, you know, and like no doors. It was thrilling i loved it and they give you this long like long safety instruction demo thing at the beginning about how if we emergency land in the ocean this is what you have to do to survive and you know they were like you know if if you know the safety procedures 98 percent of people survive but if you don't know then like you're almost guaranteed to die <laughs> so they were telling us this and my friend was like, getting more and more panicked as we're standing there and like, my reaction was kind of like I kind of hope we go in the water. Like, I want to see if I can do it. And I was like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> what's wrong with me? I didn't tell my friend that. She would have just, like, walked right out. She would have been like, we're not doing this. 
I don't know. I don't know. I I, I seek the thrill absolutely. I now it's a challenge, it. right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, ninety percent of people can survive. I can yeah. follow those steps. I'm pretty sure. Just remember <laughs> all the steps, so, and you're good. Yes. The photo shoot on Mars, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Oh, go ahead, Trey. No, 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 no. Uh, I'll ask my question in a second. Oh, Credence asked, does your curiosity drive your creativity? Oh, yes, completely. Yeah. See, I think that at least in the way that I practice creativity, which is in the fine art world, um, I'm I'm usually working in, on a series or like a body of work. Um, even though I put out general portfolio images all the time, I'm almost always working in a series behind the scenes from that. So I have to find something that will sustain my creativity for years. Like usually my series last at least a year to put it, put them together. So, um, you know, I, I always ask myself, like if I couldn't focus on anything else for two years, what would be the thing that sustains me for that long to research and to build and to make? And um, so, yeah, whatever I'm curious about at the time is, is what I, tend to do. But I have to say, though, that I filter that through the public eye, in a sense. So I'm always thinking not just about, um, like, what's interesting to me right now, but what's interesting to me, plus how will other people receive this. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at your own curiosity to say like, what, what am I curious about? But also how can I create this in a way that brings other people into the process and that acknowledges how they'll feel and maybe gives a call to action that will help somebody. So that's kind of how I, I do it. But yeah, there's always that curiosity. I think that that's what drives any human being. And I tend to find that the people who seem like they're least alive are the least curious people. that seems valid Um, though i mean i agree i i don't want to agree with it but i think you're right i mean everyone's alive technically right (laughs) but some people some people are missing that spark and and i hate when i see someone like that because you know i think that we're all capable of finding that spark but um sometimes it gets buried or knocked out of reach or whatever and um And I think that there's also a touch of innocence or optimism or whatever word you want to put there that goes along with um, curiosity. I think that, you know, a lot of curiosity gets stamped out when we're kids because the more curious you are, the more people get annoyed with you or don't, you know, like don't trust you to follow that line of thought or whatever the case is. And so for, for whatever reason, it gets, it gets really um, tamped down. And, and um, so I think that, you know, I think that curiosity is kind of, one of the 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 illnesses that we have at least in our culture which is just that it's not um cherished as much as it should be and the result is less creativity and um you know just less spark for life i kind of wonder if that's uh, to your to that point which i incredibly agree with i wonder if it's kind of this focus more on expediency of things and like that instant gratification if that kind of maybe plays into a little bit of that creativity that yes there are platforms that do promote certain types of creativity but those are like flashes of things and i see more people try something and then give up versus continue going with that spark if they don't get that immediate like following of that yeah i think that, that maybe plays a part into that i do i think so totally and i mean it it does for me like i know that I've, I've, my like true introduction to the internet and 
social media was when I started my career. And I've never in my life used social media as a personal tool, only as a business tool. And I see how, especially building a business, there's this sense that like if you post something and then 24 hours later you look at the statistics and and it didn't do well oh well then that thing must not be good but then I'll put that same thing in a gallery and a year later I'll sell five prints of it and it's like wait what's happening here you know like can I trust my career to the algorithm or do I trust it to the long-term you know um long-term gratification and, and as opposed to short-term gratification. And I think that um, I think it's very easy to be swayed by the short term and to think that what you're doing isn't worth pursuing if other people aren't responding to it in a certain way. Um, but I'm always really, I try to hang on to this idea that the creativity, the work that we're putting out there, whatever it is, does not have to be supported by a large platform of people to be successful. And that's really something that I try to remember, you know, on days where you look at your social media and you're like, Oh, these numbers are terrible. And now I feel like a bad artist. It's like, yeah, but all I actually need are for 10 people to like buy something from me this year. And I'd be fine. You know, like that thought really helps. So you have a novel that you're writing. Yes. Is that still in writing stage? Not really. It shouldn't be. That's for sure. So um, I, I've been writing it for like eight years, which isn't to say that it got a lot of attention over those years. But you know, like the thoughts came eight years ago. And then I, I wrote it. And then I sent it to um, a writer friend of mine. And she was like, this is trash. I you're this is not a good novel. <laughs> you need to start over. And I was like, thank you. You're right. So um, so around like 2017, I guess I started, I decided I need to be a better reader to be a better writer. So I started reading voraciously, like all the time. And that helped tremendously just to learn like, oh, this is how a book is structured and stuff like that. Um, and so for the last like four years, I've been much more invested in it and really paying attention and, you know, putting a lot of effort in and, um, about a year ago, I hired an editor to go through it. And so she and I went through it together. And gosh, I've done like, I'm on my ninth draft right now. And, um, and I just met my editor in New York for the first time when I was there a few weeks ago. And we had lunch and she was like, why are you still editing this thing? She's like, it's done. It's ready. Please just send it out. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, so it's it's definitely done. I I'm just combing through it to get rid of any extra words, you know, things like that. But it's done. And actually next week I'm starting to send it out to agents to try to get represented. So I'm very excited for that. Um and I just went to this writers conference. It went really well. Um it was the first time a professional agent had read my work and she said I'm ready, so I feel ready. So now I'm gonna do it. <laughs> but it's like you know my, my the biggest dream that I have is to publish this novel I'm very excited that is very exciting yeah. uh, would you mind sharing the title of the work so that we can look forward yeah. to it I, mean, I can almost guarantee you the title will change because I can already see this not playing well on a bookshelf but um but the title is it's called Asherel and it's um it, the book is about this god tree um, that's dying and this god tree sustains all life um, on the planet. And as it dies, the population dies. And so it's about this girl who has the ability to save the god tree, but only by making a terrible sacrifice. There you have it. <laughs> yep. Well, we're going to watch for that one. That's for sure. 
Yes. I mean, I know I'm going to get it out there somehow. I just have to figure it out. <laughs> um, Jamus in the chat wants to make sure that we tell you that his favorite work is Almighty in the Sky. It gives me edge of sleep, dread, and beauty at the same time. That means a lot to me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, Credence just said, uh, just took a look at Brooks Gallery. Uh, did you get a lot of influence from Salvador Dali's surrealism? Just wondering because I love surrealism. Yeah, I also love surrealism. Um, I think that it's it just incredible to like take something absurd and then give it context in, in the modern world. And um, yeah, I love Dali. I really love Dali. And I actually got to visit his hometown in Spain um, called Figueres, which I can't say correctly because I can't speak a word of Spanish, but um, but I got to go there where, where they have a Dali museum. And it's just like, I think I spent five hours there just by myself and I did not want to leave. I was just with impatient friends, so I had to go. But um, it was like, it was transcendent, that experience, seeing all those works that I had never seen. Like, you know, like a Google search doesn't, show you all these crazy things that he did so um yeah i love dali um i like i mean i'm i'm really like more of a classic painter um lover i love goya like i love dark um dark painters from ye old days <laughs> but um yeah i find that my influences are definitely people like dali but especially um classic gothic painters and stuff like that i just think there's so much visually to digest there and then the concepts i can come up with on my own <laughs> oh he said that would be like walking like a walking acid trip i'm thinking <laughs> yeah. referencing your <laughs> yeah it, yeah it was it was incredible that museum i wish everybody could see it there's also a dali museum in um florida that i've been to um but it doesn't hold a candle to the one in Spain. So, um, oh, go ahead. Emma. Nope. <laughs> no. We do refuse. I will Don't be silent for this one time. We're just going to have bad radio the rest of the show because we won't talk. <laughs> so back to your book, though. Do you have favorite stories and fantasy stories that you find yourself gravitating toward? Or what are some yeah. books that maybe? Oh, OK. Here we go. We will not shut up now for hours. You're Excellent. trapped. This is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, like, if a stranger asks me this question and a friend is with me, they'll be like, come on, bro, just please stop. Like, this person <laughs> doesn't want to hear it anymore. Um, yes. Okay. So um, I have, oh, God, there are so many. So um, Dune was the first book that, like, really sparked an interest in me. I have a quote from Dune on my arm here. It's Sweet. like my favorite thing um so that was the first book that really like awakened me to the world of fantasy that or, well sci-fi in that case but you know um otherworldly things that that had a huge influence on me because of the themes that it deals with and um i just thought it was magnificent and then um other kind of like classics would be the his dark materials trilogy the golden compass which i think is just one of the most beautiful books ever and um, that was a big influence on me as well when I was a teenager. And then, um, but more recently, so like, I don't know if you've ever read the Red Rising series by Pierce Brown. Um, I think he's one of the best um, writers just in terms of word choice and like how eloquent he is, but that's like an epic space, you know, saga type of thing. Um, yeah, I love Aaron Morgenstern, like the Night Circus and the Starless Sea. Yes. Those are beautiful books. Love them. Um, 
Susanna Clark has a book called Piranesi, which is like a very strange book that I think is really, really beautiful. Um, so that's another one. One of my, but I, okay. If, if you read nothing else, um, uh, N.K. Jemison um, wrote uh, the Broken Earth trilogy. Um, okay. the, uh, what's the first one in that one? It's, um, well, you'll find it if you type the Broken Earth trilogy. <laughs> what's it called? Um, the Fifth Season. The Fifth oh. Season. Um, and it's, this book is written in second person future tense. I think it's like the weirdest perspective ever in a book. And it's really, really beautiful. She won like every award you could win when those books came out and yeah, they're amazing. Um, so those are some of my favorites. I have like a million more favorites and I just need to shut up because seriously, no. I will keep <laughs> you forever. No, go, 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 keep going. <laughs> you really? Okay, one more. Um, this year, I read An Ember in the Ashes by Saba Tahir. And that was like, that was, again, a really beautiful four book series. Um, yeah, that was spectacular. Cool title, too. Yes. Yes. But you will soon find that there are like, approximately a 1000 books with a very similar title. And I feel like I feel like publishers just like caught on to this catchy title. And now every book is titled like this and it's really frustrating but it's a great title it's just that i've read like five books this year that i can't remember their titles because they almost sound exactly the same i've <sighs> seen that too yeah jamus was asking what is your guilty pleasure book slash music slash show slash movie um well i i'm not i'm gonna say guilty even though it's not guilty because anybody who loves taylor swift should be proud of it but i love taylor swift um and yes. so movies though like i love brendan fraser and we'll watch anything with brendan fraser in it and um anything that's like like national treasure that is totally my guilty pleasure movie like i will watch that just absolutely like anytime i get sick national treasure goes on the tv <laughs> i think taylor swift is my guilty pleasure as well not many people know that now they do because i've seen yeah. a lot of podcasts but... <laughs> yeah you know what? i i'm sorry but like even if you don't like her music that woman's a genius and you can learn a mm -hmm. lot from her so i love her <laughs> so i stopped listening to taylor swift around like the red album and then I picked back up slowly when Reputation came out. And then after um, the most recent release, Midnight's, I can't stop not playing that on repeat. <laughs> yeah. No, me too. I mean, there's always some song that just completely kills me. And on her newest album, there's a song called Bigger Than the Whole Sky. And it's just like the most heart-wrenching thing um, in my whole world right now. And I listen to it almost every day and cry. It's, it's a good good thing I've got going on there. Um, one, I'm going to respond to Emily's no, uh, Emily's statement. No, I had no idea that you liked Taylor Swift. Like yeah, in our like, nine years of knowing each other, that has never come up. Not once. No. You know what? People are like weirdly embarrassed to say that. And I'm not entirely sure why, because like music sales show us that lots of people feel this way, but like nobody wants to say it. And I totally don't understand it because I think she's just genius. So, I mean, there are lots of genius people out there, but. Right. Yeah. yeah. Taylor, if we're, if you're listening, we love you and uh, come join us sometime. Your album artwork. <laughs> right. I love her music videos too. Yeah. I mean, it's all great. 
Um, I do have to say, though, the line where she said, um, I have this dream where my daughter-in-law kills me for the money <laughs> and because I left, didn't leave them in the will. Um, that line, that line kills me. Just, <laughs> I, I don't know why. <laughs> and then the whole, like, sequence that they put into Antihero of, like, they actually staged it. I was not expecting that to happen. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, I just, I can't get enough. <laughs> yeah, when no one's around, I'll put, I'll put her music on. And I don't know if I've been caught yet. Probably not, because not many people have known, obviously. Well, much to my husband's dismay, I listen to it all the time in my office, and he always just comes and closes the door. <laughs> Please, no. Do you listen to music when you're editing? Or do you have a certain Sometimes. music that you play when you're editing? I don't know. I don't really have like an editing routine, which is weird. Um, often I just forget and I sit in silence a lot, um, which is fine. Um, I can't listen to audiobooks when I edit because I tune whatever I'm listening to out completely, which really frustrates me because I love listening to audiobooks. I would love to be able to like, you know, listen to three hours of a book while I'm editing, but I just, it, I just don't hear it. So I can't do it. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have like my writing routine is much more specific than my photo routine, which is that whenever I'm writing, I play like an ambient soundtrack in the background of whatever the space is that I'm writing about. So like if mm. I'm writing, I was just writing a desert scene. So I was listening to like sand across dunes on the desert, you know, um, stuff like that. So that's like a very specific routine that I follow to a T every time I write. But yeah, editing, I don't care what's happening around me. Like I just end up not hearing anything. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I found that if I, cause I've, I, I heard of a photographer that plays like heavy metal when they're editing and I'm, I can't do that. If I can yeah. put on a movie soundtrack or something, I can, you know, like the music only, the score. Mm -hmm. like the, I the, love scores. Yeah, I can do that. But there's no way I could listen to heavy metal on. <laughs> well, I just couldn't anyway, like under any circumstances. <laughs> right. I'm like very much like a soft, folky person. Um, Same. So I brought up my my editor who I recently met in New York and um, she asked me, what kind of music do you like? And so I was telling her, like, I'm not actually like a music person, and which was horrifying to her because she listens to everything and like loves music. And so I said, well, if I had to describe my music style, it would be like sad, soft, sad, like songs that that are that you can play really loud and she was like wait what why would you play a soft sad song really loud and I was like I don't know there's just something about like a sad just like I don't know like haunting song just blasted in my headphones that I find to be the most wonderful thing in the world mm -hmm. so that's <laughs> I think I might have found an artist and I wonder if you listen to them um do you like anything from Hozier I don't know See, okay. this is where, like, if you if you spat out any book, I could tell you, like, oh, I know that book. <laughs> in this case, <laughs> I know, like, almost no musicians. I'm really bad. Oh, no. Um, he is an Irish folk singer. Um, that who is gained, um He's gained a little bit of some popularity, but um, a lot of the, the things that you just described, he touches on. Mm -hmm. um, so, highly recommend it. Um, okay. H H O Z I E R, I think is okay. how you spell it. Um, delightful human being. 
delightful. Okay. I'll look that up. And I mean, in the same vein, um, Damien Rice is my favorite musician of all time and sounds similar. So, yeah. Cool. There's yeah. a there's a YouTube video out there that's um, I can't remember the exact title, but it's like dark for Elise on on a broken piano. And then it's got like rain, these <laughs> rain soundtrack over the top of it. And I don't know why that one does it for me, but I, I get what you're saying. Oh, totally. <laughs> I just, I've got to give it up to Jamus. Um, he says, guilty pleasure is uh, Lana Del Rey. Makes me feel like a beat up biker girl escaping from a traumatic life in the desert. What? Pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, James. Uh, I'm very proud of you. Speaking of desert, you are living in Arizona, correct? Yes, but not speaking of desert i live not in the desert oh okay <laughs> yeah i mean i have this conversation like what feels like 20 times a month with people oh. which is like oh it must be so hot where you are i'm like actually it's snowing you know <laughs> so um so i live in flagstaff which is like mm. northern arizona and it's at seven thousand feet elevation i live in a mountain town in a pine forest and yeah it's very cold here don't be fooled. I walked to my studio today with like full on boots and a scarf and a hat and my big winter coat and everything. It was very cold. So, And that's yeah. a cool story too about your studio. Yeah. I, yeah. I um, haven't had a studio for ages. Um, I only ever had one in 2016 because I was doing a specific project that required it. And so this is my first time having a studio with a studio mate who is like just the most awesome person ever. Um, yeah. I don't know how much detail you want me to go into about that. Though. Well, you know what, what I loved about that story was that you immediately, she showed an interest in photography and you went and were like pulled the cameras out and we're like, let's go. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I immediately, like, once she, she admitted to me that she was interested, I was like, you know what, I'm about to get a new camera, here's my camera, keep it, go make photos, and we were just, like, inseparable ever since, so, um, yeah, so the backstory to this is that um, I'm a foster parent, and, um, and a baby girl that I fostered for five months went to live with a new family who was going to adopt her, and, um, that adoption has since fallen through, but, um, but I got to know her new foster mom and like six months later, she revealed to me that she had been watching my classes online and like wanted to be a photographer all of a sudden. And so I, uh, so I was like, well, yes, like, I just thought it was amazing that she took that interest and she was someone who had never done anything creative before. So, um, yeah, so I started teaching her here and there, and she's a really quick learner. And so we decided to share a studio um, in May this year and still have it, and it's just so much fun. <laughs> We're enjoying it so much. That's awesome. Do you do yeah. more work there than outside? Well, obviously it's cold and snowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't stop me, though. Um, it just depends. I go through little spurts where, like, I just – I'm happy to be on a backdrop doing stuff like that. And then other times where I will go like two months and every day I'm outside in the cold or whatever it is. And yeah, it just totally depends. So, um, I mean, it's like, I, I had my studio in my garage, which is 
not ideal for living in a cold place. You know, it's like always freezing and um, cluttered. I think anytime your workspace is also your garage, there will always be boxes and things and like stuff that you don't want, but like that's where everything gets thrown. And so, um, so it was just always messy and it was just a challenge. Like I, I will always be the person to advocate that you should use whatever space you have available, you know, but in some cases, if an opportunity presents itself, then a studio space is very nice to have. So, um, yeah, I never had quite the, the challenge of space like I do now where I'm starting to do slightly bigger projects where I need bigger props and just, you know, more lights and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, the studio has been amazing. That's one thing that I've always admired about your process is you're not you've never been held up by obstacles like wardrobe you're like let's grab a bed sheet or space you're like here's a white wall yeah yeah I think you I think actually that's like I think that's how I became a creative person was by having limitations and I think that's often true for people like if you if you say to somebody here's a blank piece of paper draw whatever you want most people will just stare at that paper like, I don't know what to draw. But if you say, okay, you have to draw a face and it has to have the color blue in it, then people can be like, okay, well, I can start with that. You know, like there are confines to work within and it's comforting to a degree as well as frustrating once you learn more and you're like, wow, I could do so much more, but I'm still trapped in my bedroom with this white wall. Like that can get frustrating. But um, but I also feel like my my inclination was everybody starts somewhere. And if this is where I'm starting, where all I have is a tiny apartment and one wall that I can shoot against and a bed sheet to use as my wardrobe, then I might as well do it. Because if I decide I'm going to wait five years, 10 years until I have the funds or the resources to be able to create something bigger and more extravagant, then I'll be starting out at the very beginning, 10 years from now. So I might as well do what I can. And the beautiful thing that came from that was that, um, I learned Photoshop super fast because I had nothing to work with. So I really had to learn Photoshop and teach myself. Um, But I also learned a lot just being alone with my camera in a small space where I had to figure out how to be a decent photographer on my own and stuff like that. And so it was really helpful to have those constraints and, and it really went on to like define my career for me and, and to uh, carve a space for myself. Um, One of the questions well, Vintage Watercolors said, I, I 100% agree with limitations. Too many options hinders creativity. Yeah, I, it really does. It really does. And like I've done, um, I've hosted retreats and like, you know, in-depth classes and stuff with people at times where we're working on a project. Like the point of it is to get to the end of a, of a you know, particular Uh, photo series or something like that and every single time when I say like we need to narrow down your idea to get as specific as possible always the response is but I don't want to make it super specific because what if I want to do something else in the series and I'm like listen (laughs) you're almost guaranteed to fail with this series if you leave yourself room to do something else because then you're going for the generic instead of the specific and people don't connect with generic things you know like with broad topic um ideas the more specific you are the more opinionated you are um the more people often connect with those ideas and so um and but that's the same thing as giving yourself a limitation like if you say okay for this series i'm only going to focus on you know like whatever the specific thing is that you're interested in then you've given yourself a box to work in and you often find there's way more to discover in that box than you originally thought 
Like, oh, go ahead, Trey. Sorry, I was just going to say, like, when I first started out with sewing, that was kind of the thing of, like, there are all of these patterns, there's all of this fabric, and there's all of, like, this this thing. Um, so it was kind of like finding what my niche was going to be. And um, Emily started giving me some advice, uh, was like, well, you know, you really like doing cosplay, and you really want to, like, start focusing on that sort of thing. Um, so you probably want to get good with, you know, using a sewing machine first. <laughs> um, um, so it became like a battle of finding the sewing machine. And then it became like understanding the fabric and start layering it on. And um, I now work in a community that supports like adult learners and learning like adult learning theory and stuff. It's this it's always this idea of a segmented sort of thing. So you yeah. start with something as your foundation and then you layer on your learning over top of that, like building blocks or like Legos. And over time, those pieces start to connect together and it makes whatever you're going for, be it an edifice, be it the, the Taj Mahal, whatever you're going for, it starts to your once huge thing suddenly becomes this like manageable thing and you go, oh my God, like I can do this. I totally um, agree. I mean, this is this is always my advice to people when um, when people say like, "How do I learn photography? How do I learn writing? How do I learn Photoshop?" It's like to me, I'm self taught in all of these things, and the the reason why I think I've been able to teach myself is that I'm not. For example, I'm not buying a class that says this is how to do photography A to Z because I will lose almost all of that information like in one ear and out the other. So instead I say, I have an idea. What's the very first step that I would have to take to start to bring that idea to life. And then I learn that first step and I do that first step and then I move on to the second step. And I think that when you use a layered approach like that, then necessarily you will retain it a lot better because it pertains to what you're actually interested in doing in that moment. And yeah, super good advice. I think. Yeah. Vintage watercolors said, got to delve into it, baby steps, but take the steps. Yeah. Always take the steps. Always. Another question was, given the choice of anyone in the world, alive or dead, whom would you like to have as a dinner guest? Huh. I think it's a two-way tie um, between Mary Oliver um, and Frank Herbert, who wrote Dune. Um, I think they're probably very opposite individuals, but um, yeah, I'm. I think that both of them have a very singular outlook on life, and I would like to ask them about their philosophies more. Yeah, they're when you've been out shooting like out in nature do you get stopped often to be asked like what are you doing or (laughs) yeah a lot um you know people are really odd about (laughs) stuff like this I, i mean i guess they think i'm the odd one which is fair but um but sometimes i'm just amazed at how much people just gawk and like don't leave either I feel like if I saw someone doing a photo shoot like out in the forest or something in a funny dress, I would probably just like say hi and keep walking and like try not to bother them. 
<laughs> but some people really just like will stop and just watch like for a while. And, um, and I find that very interesting, but yeah, um, lots of interest in, <laughs> in what I, what I do out there for sure. What has been the strangest thing while you've been shooting that someone has asked you? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you, I don't know if it's necessarily what I've been asked, but I will tell you about this time when I was shooting um, my friend. We were out, this was in LA, like just outside of Los Angeles. And I, <laughs> I was shooting her in a mask and a, like a really like a five foot long wig and we we're in a river and, um, and she was nude. And so it was a little, like nobody was there though. So we were like, okay, we're gonna do this real fast. And so we got in and she's like standing there naked in the river. And I was trying to get her to like cover herself with this long wig that she had on. And then all of a sudden we heard this like big group of people coming. And and it was like a very remote part. Like, like I don't understand why this occurred, but a tour bus pulled up and they let out like 40 people from a tour bus and they came walking right up to us. Oh, no. and Weird. Like I think that I think in their minds they were like, "This is what we're here for." <laughs> like I think so. I was like, "Get down, get down!" And so she just sunk down in the water up to her neck and just just squatted there, like until they walked away. It was so weird, and like nobody said anything. They just waved at us, and we waved back. And, like, it was <laughs> so bizarre. That's one of the weirder things that has happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else are you gonna do? Sink right down. i was like, i can't get her out of the water like she's gotta just cover herself i'll just stand there and like hope they walk away i mean nobody on that bus seemed to speak english like it was so i couldn't communicate what was happening and they didn't have any questions for me so <laughs> it was it was it was very odd yeah that's great <laughs> people are like yes this is the event yeah <laughs> why not it's more than they bargained for <laughs> So one of the <laughs> one of the things that you built that was probably the biggest was maybe your fourth wall. Yeah. What definitely. have you built anything bigger than that or anything that you've built on a large scale to make a photo shoot happen? Not like that. That was definitely me building, like really building yeah. <laughs> and uh which I'm not good at. And I can't believe that structure stayed up. So yeah, I made this series called fourth wall and um, I built a room inside of a room. So it was, I had a studio at that time and I built like four walls with no windows or doors in it. And then I mounted my camera to the ceiling. I put um, like, there's this thing called a slider for, for video where you put the camera on and you can like track it, you know, but I put my camera on it and mounted it to the ceiling. And then <laughs> I had this string coming from my camera. So I would like hold onto the string and just like hit the camera out to the middle of the room and then pull the string back to get my camera back when I was shooting. And that allowed me to shoot directly down into the room from the center of um, the room. And, uh, and that was, that was meant to be like a very physical hands-on series. Cause I had not done that up until that point. I was really reliant on Photoshop and a lot of the criticism that I was getting from like the higher end galleries that I really wanted to, to touch with my work was like, 
we don't take Photoshop. Like they were so elitist about it. And, and at first my response was like, well, I'm going to make more Photoshop stuff. Like, you know, just to spite them. But then, but I took like a solid year to really think about that, like that feedback. And I realized that even though I don't agree with their approach of just shutting out Photoshopped work, I also felt like I didn't have, I didn't have the right mindset toward any other type of photography. Like I wanted to try building and I realized I was just scared to do it, like to build a set and be more physical with my work. So I decided to do that. And so every time I did a photo shoot inside that room, I filled it with something very physical. So like one time we brought, it was like 600 pounds of sand to put in there. And we got like, a, I'm saying we, because I had an assistant at the time who was helping with all of this. And um, so we got a, like a porcelain ceramic bathtub, like one of those old ones that's insanely heavy. Oh my gosh. We hired three guys to get this bathtub up the stairs to this <laughs> studio. And it was treacherous. Like it took them an hour and they were sweating buckets and I didn't think it was going to happen, but we got it there. And so I had um, a friend of mine lay in there and we covered her completely in wax and like the whole floor in wax and stuff. And that was really fun. Um, but yeah, we just, it was like a lot of very physical things that we did in that space. And it only ended up being nine images total, but um, that was, I loved doing that, that series. And I want to do something more physical again. And I am, a, I think maybe as early as next week, I'm starting, I have jury duty this week. So um, we'll, we'll see if I get out. <laughs> maybe as early as next week, I'm starting my next series and it's going to be quite heavy on the physical elements. Too. Cool. Yeah. I loved that Art series. Oh, sorry, Trey. No, no, go ahead. We always do this. We do. I loved that fourth wall series because of that. I, I mean, your Photoshop is excellent too, and I, I love those images. Oh, thanks. And, but the fourth wall, the fact that it was that level of dedication to those images, bringing in that much sand and um, yeah. all the red string and stuff like that yeah. was about the string almost right. oh, <laughs> no, I, oh my gosh. I felt like I was just gonna see red for the rest of my life I remember so what I did was I laid yarn down in a circular pattern on the floor in this like eight by eight foot grid um until it created like a spiral effect and it took about a hundred hours to complete and I just remember my fingers were just like raw from laying like from caressing the, the yarn on the floor so much it really hurt yeah yeah right. um follow up to your follow up to your topic of like photography uh and art in general what are your thoughts on ai generated art this is a big topic right now mm -hmm. and like especially in the photo world and um i don't here's the thing i don't get upset about pretty much anything Therefore, I'm not upset about AI. I think it's like, it is what it is. I'm not going to get mad about it. I I think that it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow for people when somebody types words into an algorithm and they get an image and they say, this is my art that I made. And it's like, where, like, how do we define art then? You know, if, and I don't know that we can. And so I'm very hesitant to even have an opinion about it because I don't feel like I've grasped it well enough to know. But I definitely don't want to be on the side of things where I just shut it down and say, this is terrible. This isn't art. Cause I think that I think very likely I'd be proven wrong 
pretty soon if, um, if I said that. So I think it's really cool. I mean, I remember the first day that I saw this AI generated art, like on Instagram, and I had never seen it before this day. And I looked at it and I was like, this is the art that I've been waiting for. Like, I, I loved it. I was obsessed with it. I showed my husband, I was like, isn't this amazing? And he was like, yes, this is what we need to have on our walls. Like we loved it. And so if that was my first reaction, then like I need to in some way honor that, that it is really cool. You know, like I think that sometimes we take art so seriously, like it has to be this or it has to be that. But if you look back in the history of photography, you know, when, when the first pictures were made, I'm positive that there were painters out there being like, what is this crap? You know, like, like all they did was press a button. This is ridiculous. And then, you know, like with, with the advent of um, the dark room, like m manipulation techniques that people like Jerry Olsman um, really championed, there was this sense of like, but that's an altered image. That's not real photography. And then with computers, etc. So there's this long history of people, saying like that's not real art and then being proven wrong and so i don't want to be proven wrong <laughs> we heard the same argument when photoshop was fresh too was, oh completely yeah just like they shut out photoshop at the gallery mm -hmm. you know that's not real art mm -hmm. yeah it's a tool I mean, like at the end of the day you can define art however you want but if there's somebody there that's going to represent it and or buy it, then I'm pretty sure that makes it art. <laughs> you know, if somebody likes it, it's art. That I think that there doesn't need to be a higher definition of art than that. And now the the creator in me, like the, the artist in me wants to say, maybe it's not art if you type words into an algorithm and then you get an image out of it. But you know, the other part of me is like, well, I've seen some really bad AI generated art too. And I've seen people who can do it consistently well. And so like, what are they doing that's different from what other people are doing? And does that make them an artist? And I think it's eventually it'll just come down to how do you define yourself as an artist rather than is it art? I think that it will come down to the terms we use for the people who make that type of art. And I think it also needs to be said that there's a level of honesty when it comes to your uh, art saying that this is my art versus like and this is art that i've created there's mm -hmm. also an, an expectation of you need to explain like how you created this art and then it becomes a question of do we value the 10 seconds that it took you to put in that that ai generated algorithm right. versus the 250 plus i really don't I'm just going to throw out a number. I'm just going to throw out a number. Uh, 250 hours that you spent editing this photo to look like this. Right. Like at, at what point do we look at this and say, we need to be honest about how the level of effort. That oh, very much. Of art. Yeah. I mean, I even like, I get tagged a lot on Instagram in people's AI generated art saying like, I use the prompt Brooke Shaden to make this art. And I'm like, huh, <laughs> like, I helped you make that art by way of like this system that you're using to generate it. And it's just, it brings up a lot of very interesting questions of the legality of it and like putting your work on the internet and how you've kind of like let that work go to a degree. And I don't care. Like, I think it's cool that people are doing that, but I, I can imagine that some people will say, but like, you can't sell that if my art went into generating that thing that you created, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Just, but that's the problem in the art world is that there is no very clear um, um, 
path forward legally with copyright and stuff like that. Like it's a very murky area. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. It will. Yeah. Even in a year from now, we might have mm -hmm. a, a different outlook on it. Yeah. Uh, Vintage Watercolors asked, um, well, they're currently working or sorry, they're currently looking at Brooke's website and looking at all of your photos, which are absolutely incredible, by the way. There's Thank a you. common theme with uh, the dark royal colors with light themes. Would you say who would you say inspired your photography style? Um, I this is hard, actually, because um, I, I already mentioned these sort of dark gothic painters that I love um, and even romantic painters and, and um, there are a lot of painting influences I would say that that made me think a lot about how I wanted my work to look not just with the color schemes but the landscapes that I use and um, taking away the photographic look to my work so like a lot of especially new photographic work with the amazing cameras we have like look super crisp and clean and all of that. And I don't want my work to look like that. Like Emily and I were talking about um, like soft focus and stuff. And like, I, I kind of like soft focus. Like I don't want my images to be super crisp because I don't want it to look like a photograph. I want it to look like a painting. So a lot of my visual sensibilities, I won't say style necessarily, but sensibilities come from classic paintings. That's what I'm aiming for. But um, in terms of other people who have inspired me, like um, I love Maggie Taylor. If you know Maggie Taylor, then you probably also love Maggie Taylor. Um, she's like a photo montage artist who really championed Photoshop when it first came out. I think like in 1990, she was one of the first people to really start using that for her work. And she's incredible. Um, uh, there, oh, there are so many, like there's, there's uh, an artist named Tom Chambers, who I think is wonderful. We both happen to be from the same town in Pennsylvania and he's lovely and he's a beautiful artist. Jamie Baldridge is a beautiful sort of photo montage um, artist. There are just so many people who I think are magical and wonderful, but I wouldn't, I, I think ever since I decided I wanted to be an artist, which was when I was about 17 or so, like I've had these visions in my head that were pretty clear to me of what my work would look like. And no matter what the, the medium, like film, photography, painting, like it didn't matter to me. I had this idea in my mind. And so, um, yeah, so it's just, it's mostly that, like what I've always wanted to make. Cause you'll see, like I have a, <laughs> I have a Flickr site. This is dating myself. I have a Flickr channel that I've used since day one. Like you can see the first photo I ever made and published on the internet there in chronological order up until now. And there are like a thousand images on, on there. And, um, but you can see even from day one, you can see that like there was a definite style that hasn't actually changed all that much in the last like 13 years. Yeah, for sure. I kind of, I want to ask this question to Emily and I would have to say like, what is your signature? Like if, if looking at when you started photography up until now, is there something that you would maybe define as part of your art? You're asking me? Yes. <laughs> okay. I wanted to be sure. <laughs> oh, now I have to think about the question better. Um... <laughs> <laughs> What's your signature style that's been used oh, from day one till now? This is a terrible question. Um... <laughs> Thanks. No, I, I, it's no, I mean, for me to answer, not for you to ask. I'm sorry. 
You're really good at your job, Trey, I promise. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this at all. What is my signature? I don't I guess um I don't I feel like someone else could maybe answer that better than me. I I like the cinematic kind of look. Uh I like it I like it to look like you're you just came in in the middle of a story and you're seeing this sh- like almost a movie still. You know, I think that this is a great exercise for anybody who identifies as an artist, like to to do for any of their work, looking back on it, like what's the through line. And I think that if you can identify that, then you've really got your finger on the pulse of where you're going and what makes you special. And that's really important to do. Because like you said, when you started answering that, you're like, I think somebody else can answer it better. But if somebody else can answer it better, then like you're not totally paying attention to your work right. and where it's going, which I knew you could answer it. But, you know, I think that's a lot of people's instincts is to be like, well, let me just ask somebody what they think, right. you know. Like, what do you but, see as the common thread? It's right? important to study your own work and to really, like, to really um, be engaged with it like that, I think. I really just had to think about it because I was not prepared for any questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that, and um, I don't think anyone's asked me that before. That's a new one. Good I'm a, job. I'm a newbie. Thank you. Um, um, and now my hard question to Brooke. Oh, good. Um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, <laughs> so you are you are a public speaker, and you have done you've done several different um, conferences and things. Um, when you've given speeches, or whenever you have talked to someone one on one, what is the hardest thing that you have ever had to say to someone? Just in general, what is the hardest Ooh. thing that you've ever had to say? Yeah. Um... You know, it's really interesting because I think that I I should answer this in two ways. One is that it's very hard. I think it's harder to talk to a small group than a large group. I would much rather talk to 2000 people than a room of 10 people because then it gets personal and that's very hard to do. I think like you can see in every person's face, like when something clicks for them and they think that they've done something wrong perhaps because you're saying something opposite to what they think is true. And that's really hard. Um, Specifically like talking to um, this isn't like necessarily professional speaking, but like when I have classes um, I teach a business class every year um, to a select group of people. and, And every time I have meetings with them, like there's always there always has to be this moment where I have to tell someone your work just isn't ready yet. And it's very hard to say that to another artist, especially when I'm just one opinion. But I'm one opinion who has seen a lot of artists attempt to get their work seen. And I can I can see pretty clearly the pitfalls that somebody's falling into of like either visually or conceptually, like some way that it's not quite going to make the mark for where they want to be. That's the hardest thing to have to do. Um, but giving talks to big groups of people specifically, um, those are usually not, you know, I'm not giving advice per se to, to individuals in that scenario. And instead I'm usually sharing my story or, um, you know, something that relates to me as the central character to what the point I'm trying to make. And the thing that I think I I really love that, by the way, like I don't often find it difficult almost at all to do that. But the only thing that I really struggle with is, um speaking about my foster kids that's like the hardest thing that always just 
it's hard from a personal level, not from the audience level, but I never want to, I don't like to get on stage and feel emotionally unstable about the thing I'm talking about. Cause then I think I'm not ready to be talking about that thing. And I never want my story to be a burden to the audience. I want it to, to uplift the audience. And so that is the most difficult thing I think is like not bringing the trauma of what I've experienced to the stage and instead bringing the inspiration of it. And that can be a difficult line to toe, I think. Another question from the audience is, it, apparently it's for both of us, but I'm not. <laughs> it says, obviously all your works are like your children, but what work of yours are you especially proud of? Mm. Oh my gosh. Like this, this really, um, I have such a hard time answering stuff like this because it, it's hard to answer because the longer a work has been out in the public, the more it changes based on public opinion of it. And I'm very happy for that work to change based on public opinion because it makes me feel differently toward it as well. So, um, for example, there's a piece that you'll find like in a pretty simple scroll on my Instagram that I made in the last few months um, where I painted a watercolor rainbow that I put in the background of the image. And then it's me like with an umbrella running toward it. And I made that image and I was like, wow, this image is crap. Like I made it and I was like, I'm not going to release this. And then I showed it to my friend, Jimmy, who I share a studio with. And she was like, Brooke, this is the best thing you've ever done. You have to release this. And so I waited like another week and I just sat on it. And then one morning I woke up and I was like, I like this. I'm going to release it. Like it's like something just switched. I don't know why. I still didn't think it was the best thing. And then that image just got such a huge response from people in a way that I did not expect. And it really like connected on a heart level to a lot of people. And that was really surprising. So now like looking back at this year of the work I've made, that one fully stands out for me as like a really pivotal piece that I made. And it meant something deeply to me. It's not that it didn't. I just wasn't sure about it visually. So to see it have this reception was really beautiful. Um, but, uh, in the last year I made a series called night terrors and I really love this particular series. It's just very, it was a little different and very like high end portraiture style looking, which I don't ever do, but I decided to do it for the series. And I love how that series came out. It was like super sharp and like just not the way I normally photograph. And so I really enjoyed that. And that was helpful for me because I have chronic night terrors. So it's been, it was kind of interesting to like work with the things that I have night terrors about like beetles and birds and stuff like that I always think like things are attacking my face and stuff so um so that was kind of fun on a personal level um but you know what I love is that Instagram lets you pin images to the top of your feed now you know oh, like does you can, it? yeah oh it's cool amazing. So if you look at my Instagram, you'll see three images that have a little pin on the corner. And, and those are like always the top three images that you'll see on my Instagram. And so I tend to just pin the ones that mean the most to me or that I think will have the most public resonance to them. And um, so those are some of my favorite images that I've ever made, at least lately. Okay, awesome. I'm always afraid to say what images are my favorite to the public because I don't want anybody to think I have favoritism. I don't know why somehow I feel like that's not fair to everybody who's been involved with every shoot I've done. So oh. well, you I've wouldn't been, be human if you didn't have an opinion. I guess so. Um, it, but the question wasn't about what my favorite one, it was about which one I'm especially, or which one you're especially proud of. So 
too. Since the question goes to me too, I have to say probably, probably the one that involves the question asker, <laughs> um, James. It's the one that I titled, um, or we titled, Conqueror of Self. It was probably the only big composite image I did because, or that I've done because I've never, I'd never really done a lot of composite work. Um, and yeah, look, he's, he said, what? <laughs> well, yeah, it was, um, we were out, it was, he came to visit and we were out just shooting in the backyard in the forest and it was like, okay, what do we want to do next? And I had this old throne that I had built for other photo shoots and we'd still had it out there in the woods. So I've been sitting out there in the, in the elements for months. And so things were, it was, it had seen some, some weather. <laughs> and yeah. so he said, well, what if we, oh, we took a few shots of him on the throne and it was just, it felt kind of lackluster to me. I wasn't feeling it in the moment. And then he said, wouldn't it be kind of cool if like there were a bunch of bodies on the ground in front of the throne? Like, like maybe I'd slaughtered all these people or they had tried to come up on the throne and I'd slain them and they're lying there. And I thought, yeah, that would be cool. And he actually said to me, where do we get a bunch of bodies? <laughs> and I, I, I should have called Brooke Shaden because she knows where to get by. <laughs> they're, in, they're in my garage right now. Right. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I, we'll come back to that. I need to understand <laughs> the answer to that story. So, well, I, I, I oh, no, I mean, it, it, she had talked about the body farm. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Also, because, you know, she photographs bodies. Anyway, um, so I said, well, the only way I know of, like, right now to get this photo shoot done is, like, if you were all the bodies. And as I'm saying it, I realize what I'm kind of committing to. <laughs> Hey James, uh, we'll just pose you in a whole bunch of different ways, and and we, he changed clothes a bunch of times, and we got like a a mannequin torso, and we put a garbage bag over it because it was a rainy day, and we threw that on the ground, and he like draped himself over it in a bunch of different ways, and so he would have the right curve around. So we so in Photoshop, I lumped all these bodies together, and um, so because it's all him. He's conquered all of himself, all of these selves in front of yeah. the throne. And so it's called Conquer of Self. And probably the pride comes from having accomplished that level of composite because I'd never, I just went, oh yeah, we can do this. <laughs> and then we did it. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. I hope, yeah. uh, I hope it's good, James. <laughs> I hope you like it. <laughs> anyway, besides your book, because I know that's kind of like your big dream project. Do you have other dream products that you'd love to make happen someday? Yes, so many. Um, I'm working on an inspiration deck of cards, and I'm very excited to make that happen. Um, I'm doing that with a friend, and we're still working out the design of the cards, but um, I think we're going to self-publish that. Um, I've fallen out of love with publishing except for novel publishing but other things <laughs> um so i'm working on an inspiration deck of cards and then um 
I want to make a new art book that's a handmade art book instead of um, like traditionally bound or published. And that's going to be a collection of my photos and my poetry. And that'll be really nice to put together at some point in the next year or two, maybe. Um, yeah. So that's a thing. Um, I want to try to find more ways to do better fundraisers for foster care. That's a big thing on my agenda, which I haven't quite figured out yet, but that's something that I really want to do. Um, and then, you know, I don't, I think that like, I think when I envision my future, I really, I just really want to be a writer. Like I want to have like a multi book deal and just be paid to like write all the time. <laughs> and so that's really like where I'm headed. I think is, is I want that. Um, yeah. But the, the new series that I'm working on is all about uh, loving with impermanence um, inspired by my journey through foster care. So I'm trying to create a, a series that questions how we love and why we love in a certain way and how ownership comes into that um, equation and how often we refuse to love without ownership over a certain thing. And we're sort of programmed to want to like stake our claim on things, whether it's people or places or whatever. Um, and just questioning why that is and trying to deconstruct our need for permanency and ownership over the things that we love. So I'm very excited for that series. I'm very hopeful that it will touch people. Yeah, that's an interesting look at it too. You're right though. And my hope is to do a TED talk about that as well. I've really like avoided the TED sphere for a while now and like thinking, I just didn't feel like I quite had the right talk. And I think that I do now. So I'm about to start working with a speaking coach on the TED talk and we're going to see if we can craft it to a point where they'll make the intro to TED. And I'm very excited. I really hope that happens. Awesome. Yeah. Has, um, also, we want to know about that. So if when you get that scheduled, when... Uh, send us the link. Please. I will. Yes, I like that outlook. It will happen. Excellent. Also, tell us about the light space. Yes. I, well, I'm glad that you asked now because it's like so fresh on my mind. Um, um, so the light space is a photography school for um, survivors of human trafficking and those who are vulnerable to trafficking. And um, it the the idea started in kind of a roundabout way because I was traveling to India once a year to Kolkata and doing workshops there for the same community for people who were, um, you know, um, in some way related to trafficking, whether they're vulnerable or have been trafficked. And so we started working, um, my partner with all of the nonprofit work that I do, Laura Price, she uh, runs a nonprofit um, called Blossomy uh, Project. And um, so I started working with her and we would partner with an organization in Calcutta um, called Kolkata Sanbed, which is a dance movement therapy um, organization. And so we started doing these workshops called If I Could Fly, and they are workshops where it's myself teaching self-expression through photography, along with a dance movement therapist. Um, and so the idea is that we're teaching young adults how to um, express their story non-verbally through uh, self-portraiture and how to move their bodies to express a story. So we started doing those workshops, and I would travel to India every year and do that um, since, I think, 20. January 2013 was the first time I went. And um, so year after year, we just kind of felt like, okay, I'm going for like two weeks and then I come back and then that's it. And it just didn't have like the longevity that we wanted. And they didn't have access to resources necessarily to continue the work that we were doing. They didn't have cameras or anything. And a lot of them didn't even have cell phones. So 
Um, so then we decided to start a school, a photography school that was more long-term. It's um, roughly a four-month pro- um, certificate program. And so it teaches photography as a life skill, as well as editing and Photoshop and all of that, um, with a heavy emphasis on storytelling and self-expression. And um, and it's great because then um, these young adults are able to enter the working world with, with some skills under their belt. A lot of people um, who take the course come from a background in a shelter home or a space where they haven't been given a fair education and they also don't really have a foothold in the adult world yet. Like they haven't been taught the skills that they need. So this helps teach computer skills, photography skills, um, editing, stuff like that. Um, Yeah, so we've run it in um, India in Thailand and in Greece. And we just started the second chapter in India um, a couple weeks ago. Yes. That is awesome. It's very exciting. Yeah, we had lots of students this year. It was really, really nice to see. I went to do my If I Could Fly workshop. That's how we always kick it off and sort of introduce a group to the cameras and stuff. And then they start the, the light space program. And this year we were supposed to have 25 students and then 75 people showed up to the workshop. It was amazing though. So so we did the workshop and we had lots of people want to sign up for the full course. And it was really beautiful. I do have to ask, what is your... Um if you don't want to choose a favorite that's fine but um out of all the different chapters that you started what are some of the photographs that have stood out to you and what's kind of the story behind it yeah so there's one that stands out significantly to me so we we started um we started a chapter of the light space um on lesbos in greece and it's a big refugee community there and so we were working with displaced people who were trying to find permanent residency somewhere often in europe and so a lot of these um young adults are sort of passing through Greece as like their first port of entry from where they came from. And then we're going to move on. And, um, and we had this one student um, who was just so like her, she was so intelligent and her mind just really worked in, in terms of story really beautifully and symbolism. And she did this, um, she did this self portrait. I think it was like an in-camera double exposure where She's standing in front of a stop sign and there she's like screaming in the image and she has a hand outstretched. And it was just so like, just so arresting to see because she was telling this story about like stopping violence against women and, and all sorts of different messaging. And it was really powerful. So we ended up doing an exhibition with all the students. And I remember everybody was just like captivated by that image on the wall. Everybody loved it so much. And it was just so bold, you know, like for her to, feel confident enough to make that image and to put it out there. And she's really done some amazing work since then too. Wow. Do you stay in touch with a lot of the students or if they have like social media, do you stay in touch with them? Sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's hard to keep in touch sometimes um, in certain situations, but um, like the first one that we did in India was a much smaller group. So it was much easier to stay in touch. And I still talk to most of those girls today and you know they graduated seven years ago so they're like you know having kids and they're married and stuff like that but um yeah and then some so sometimes yes sometimes no but I'm not the educator for the light space I helped make the curriculum for it and we find the educators and stuff so um for the four months it's really somebody else who's leading them and um they usually form really close bonds to whoever the educator is for that round I wish I mean I would love to just like pack up and go for four months and <laughs> feel yeah. deep. It would be amazing. 
Yeah. Well, I think your husband might miss you just a little bit. Just, just a little. A little. Bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're very mobile except for the cats and occasionally the kids when we have kids here. <laughs> cats, that's awesome. It is. Yeah. They're so little. We just set up a camera to watch them and we can go anywhere. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what I should do. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's one right here, but you can't see her. She's sleeping. <laughs> Um, well, well, there's, there was a question I know Trey wanted to ask, and I, he hasn't asked it yet, and I don't know why. Do you know what question, Trey? No. It's like one it's of exciting. the. I was giving you the space to do it, so. Um, I I honestly don't know. Okay, so I'm gonna ask it then. Okay. Tell us about losing your wings at five years old. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so I was, when I was little, well, I shouldn't say when I was little, my whole life, I've had a very overactive imagination, which I think contributes to the sheer amount of nightmares and night terrors that I have and stuff like that. Um, but when I was five, I had a dream that I flew and I was like convinced that that was real, like absolutely like, to, to a degree that it was like, I think my parents were worried about how much I believed that it happened. And so my mom being the wonderful woman that she is, it was just like, that's true. You flew. It really happened. And I was like, really? And then she was like, yeah, everybody gets to fly once in their life, but just once. And you had your turn to fly. And that's the only time it'll ever happen, but you had it. And so I was just like amazed. Like I, like for a long time, I grew up after that thinking like, I was so special because I got my turn to fly and like, I remembered it so well and stuff. But then I also was like, but it'll never happen again. Like, I was like, Oh my gosh, that was it. You know? So it was like so bittersweet. But I look back on that just like as this profound moment of like, my mom could have said anything like, shut up. That's not, that did not happen. Like you were just dreaming, like let it go, you know? And instead she like made up the story that just so stuck with me. And I feel like is so vital for kids to have something to believe in like that. That was the best answer she could have given you. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, yes. somebody clip that. Somebody no, clip I'll that, clip please. It. That was so good. <laughs> there. Um, so at work, it's kind of with Christmas coming up and, or with the holiday season, I should say coming up. Um, someone who has a nine-year-old is approaching that point of starting to ask like is the tooth fairy real is santa claus real and at 5 30 in the morning the other day he got awoken to his nine-year-old like like shaking him awake and asking like dad is santa awake or saying awake <laughs> is santa real yeah. and in his like grogginess he had a setup for a second and he looked at him and he said santa is real but maybe not in the way that you think um mm. once i tell you the real answer like you know but the point of santa is santa's not santa may not be real in the way that we think but it's important because santa is the spirit of the holiday season yeah. and it's it is important to to keep that alive. It's important to keep that that magic going because there's so much wrapped up in that. And because he had a, a, little, a little sister who was like four or five at the time, he said, it is so important that you keep Santa alive because that magic is still in your sister. 
Yeah. And it's important to keep that going. I um, totally agree. That's so beautiful. I was like, you were doing such a good job as a dad. Yeah. Yeah, really. I think that's such a good answer. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know about lying to kids, but I think that if you can skirt the truth and make it really positive, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> Well, I don't think that I will ever have the the wherewithal to respond with, yeah, everyone gets a, a chance to fly, but only once in their lifetime. But I I really have to give mad props to the parents that give that amount of positivity. I know, I agree. It's very special. Yeah. So any advice for anybody who is a beginner or would like to get into photography? Yeah, <laughs> so much advice. Um, I mean, the first piece of advice is just to start. Um, and I'll share a very quick story about the first time that I did ceramics. And that was a really pivotal moment for me. I started ceramics um, maybe like four or five years ago was the first time I ever like touched clay. And I went to this class. I signed up for a class at my local like community art center thing. And um and when I got this clay, I thought that we were all going to get a block of clay. And then like the teacher would stand up there and be like, do this now, do this, you know? And instead she was like, okay, everybody begin. And she just like turned on music and sat down. And I was like, wait, what? I thought this was a class. Like I paid like 200 bucks. What am I doing here? And, and everybody else there had been in this class for years. Like, it's just like an ongoing workshop. So they were all like, yeah, like chatting, you know, and um, everybody was over 70. Like, I was like, what am I doing here? Like, this is weird. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so finally, I was like, I have no idea what to do. So I got up and I asked the teacher, I was like, I don't know what to do. And she goes, do this. And then she took my thumb and just jammed it into the clay. She was like, that's all you have to do. Just start touching the clay and some eventually it'll become something. And I was like. At first I was like angry. I was like, what? That's not instruction. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, dang, like that is such good advice to just like start touching it, like start making something and eventually something will come out of it. And, um, and so that's my advice to people starting any craft is just, you know, like if, if, if you have a desire to do something, um, think about why and what's driving you to do it and what that thing is. And, um, you know, I think that the only thing that really, you know, techniques can be learned. I could have learned techniques in ceramics from that teacher, though she wasn't offering them. And I didn't really need them at the end of the day. I ended up making several sculptures in that class that I love and I still have on display at my house and that I think are beautiful. And I didn't really need to learn that from her because those things will come eventually. You know, like you'll learn after doing 10 photo shoots, this isn't working. I have to change my technique and you'll learn it. It's just like part of the game. Mm -hmm. um, but what can't be taught is um, is your vision and your taste and, and what that turns out to be. And I think that that's why I was able to have some success in my career very early on when I started. So like I was 21 when I started photography and I was fresh out of college. And in my college experience, kind of like I said earlier, I had this vision of what I wanted to make. Um, and that was film at the time. And I made those films. And then I realized when I graduated college, like, I, I, I don't want to work with a big group of people. I don't want to keep 
doing this where like I have to give my creative vision away to 20 people to make it come to life. So I thought I'm just going to get my camera and do it all by myself in my apartment. And I did. And the beautiful thing about that was that like the ideas were the same and the execution was different. But I promise you, if you watch my films from college, you would still kind of know that it was me that did it. And the reason is that I had a vision of what I wanted my art to look like. So my advice is Technique will come, but vision is the thing that really sets somebody apart. And I was really lucky to start my career with a vision that was super clear and I had a purpose. And at the end of the day, I think purpose is what we're all, I think that's like the word that we need to hang on to is, um, you know, like what drives you and not only what drives you, but how does that impact other people? Because I think that purpose is that intersection between um, what you love and how that impacts the world at large. And I think that if you if you can find that intersection, then you've got a career, you've got art that really means something. <laughs> um, Brooke, I have to say that I'm not surprised, but I this. You, we have fit into about an hour and a half some incredible quotes from you um, mm -hmm. and some incredible advice. I have to say that it is incredibly clear that you have put a lot into your passion and you have thought about a lot. You've written, you've meditated, whatever you do to, to express yourself outwardly um, and to put thought and creativity into that. You've done it and it clearly shows. Thank um, you. So what whether that was intended or not, no, thank you. Because um, there were some things that I think I needed here, and I don't know if anyone in our audience needed to hear it, but if you did, um, I would encourage you to go and follow and take classes from Brooke Shaden and follow her whenever she becomes a TED Talker. Um, when? So, uh, when? Um, so in order to make sure that our audience can stay in touch with you, um, I just want to ask like, what are, where can they get in touch with you or stay in touch with you the best? Yeah. Um, I'm very active online. So on Instagram, it's just at Brookshaden. Um, on Facebook, it's at Brookshaden photography. My website has a contact form. I'm always there via email. Um, I'm just everywhere, just ready to say hi. <laughs> Um, and last question, um, and in their message to make sure that you knew that they listened to this podcast, what is one thing that you would like them to include? Ooh, Ooh. um, I think that they should tell me that they're a fellow weirdo. Mm. Then I'll know. Excellent. <laughs> I like <Yes>. that. <laughs> um, Brooke, it was an honor, a pleasure all the all the things just it was incredible to have you on tonight yeah thank you both this was so much fun thank you yeah, yeah. i had a great time me too um and if it's not too far to ask if we wanted to have you back later on would you like to be a return of guest <laughs> we want to talk yeah. about your book when it comes out too oh yes i'm very ready for that excellent <laughs> yes uh, thank you to everybody. Have a wonderful, creative day. And don't forget to be weird. <laughs> okay, we love you. Bye!